Russell Dinsmore Hunting was an American comic entertainer, pioneer sound recordist, and an influential figure in the early years of the recorded music industry. He was described as the most popular pre-1900 recording artist, and he was also the founder and editor of Phonoscope. Welcome to Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and this is the podcast where we're going to talk about everything old-timey music and phonograph and gramophone and, you know, those wonderful things like that. Today's show, Russell Hunting and the Phonoscope. He was born in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, and began his career as a dramatic actor in the Boston Theatre Company. He began his recording career around 1891, recording for the New England Phonograph Company. He also became famous for his series of comedy sketches about an Irish character named Michael Casey. The recordings consisted of rapid-fire crosstalk between two characters, which hunting taking all the parts for himself. And from 1892, he recorded the Michael Casey skits for Columbia Records, as well as other companies. Several of his recordings, such as Michael Casey at the Telephone and Michael Casey Taking the Census, became quite famous. In 1893, Hunting recorded the earliest version of the baseball poem, Casey at the Bat. After that, his popular Casey format was often imitated. In 1896, Hunting founded the first independent magazine for the recording industry, Phonoscope, and set up a phonograph shop in New York with his partner, Charles M. Carlson. He also about this time recorded a series of indecent recordings for saloons and amusement arcades on Coney Island. Using pseudonyms such as Manly Tempest and Willie Fathand, but Hunting was identified by his distinctive voice, and a detective working for Anthony Comstock, the founder of the newly formed New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, arrested him for violating obscenity laws. Hunting was found guilty and spent three months in prison. Here's side one. Casey at the bat. A fair brown wax cylinder with Russell Hunting. 1898. Recitation entitled, Casey's at the bat. For Columbia Phonograph Company of New York and London. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. Right in Casey's cutting and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers as he lately doffed his hat, no clean cutting the curls could help, was Cassie at the back. Ten thousand days were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tones of granite when he wiped them on his mouth. And the picture ground the ball into his hips. The science screamed in Cassie's eyes, a smear curled Cassie's lips. And now the little covered spear comes hustling through the air. 
and Cathy stood a-watching it in hearty grandeur there. Brought by the sturdy petson, the ball unheeded it. That is my style, says Cathy. Right one, the empire said. From the benches, black of table, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of storm waves on a storm and distant storm. The phonoscope is where you can learn when record companies collapsed or when new ones began. It is also a great way to read funny little anecdotes and yarns about the artists we all love from their records. It's where we can hear how Russell Hunting really wrote and how mediocre of an editor he really was. The phonoscope was a predecessor of magazines like Variety. Phonoscope was billed as a monthly journal to scientific and amusement inventions appertaining to sound and sight. However, it was Columbia biased. What I mean by this is that it mostly spoke of matters relating to Columbia Phonograph Company. It spoke a little of Berliner, and even though it did speak a great amount of Edison, it was more Columbia in his general writing. Their staff had a high praise for Columbia's heavyweight piano artist, Fred Hylands, and Mr. Leonard Spencer. It was a magazine written by and for people who knew the record business or were in it. It was a magazine targeted at recording artists and independent exhibitioners. Russell Hunting knew what his audience was when he decided to go through with starting this magazine in 1896. His friends in the record business probably were skeptical about the idea, but once the first two issues went out, it proved to be a great success. Not bad for a jailbird redeeming himself. Here's side two, I Wonder Why, 1896. I wonder why, as rendered by Russell Hunting. Now we've got the border and he's very fond of bar. I wonder why, I wonder why. 
now Papa doesn't like him and he doesn't like Papa. I wonder why. I wonder why. Now Papa says he wishes that the cat would go away. But the room would be vacant and that wouldn't pay. So Mama, she insists that the board had better stay. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why, I wonder why, that to solve the mystery, I very often try. Now tomorrow, at eve, our new border, he must leave. I wonder why, I wonder why. Now my sister's fella comes around every night, I wonder why. I wonder why they go into the parlor and they turn down the light. I wonder why. I wonder why. Oh, I got near the keyhole and I heard my sister say, Oh, now, Sally, you naughty boy, take your hand away. Oh, then she would giggle and he laughed like a jay. I wonder why. Ha, <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why, I wonder why, to solve the mystery, I very often try. I heard the villain call, and I heard her say, don't you now stop. I wonder why, I wonder why. Young lady. At night and time, look underneath the bed. I wonder why. I wonder why. They don't have to do so after marriage, she said. I wonder why. I wonder why. Oh, I knew a lady who was forty fat and fair. One night, she took off her clothes and hung them on a chair. The bed she examined and a man was hiding there. I wonder why, I wonder why. I wonder why, I wonder why to solve the mystery. I very often try. She slipped across the floor and she quickly locked the door. I wonder why. The first handful of issues were all written mostly by Hunting, but after that he was only the editor. The first three issues were a real potluck of interesting topics and writing styles. Hunting was mentioned far more than any of the other artists in the first few issues, for obvious reasons. And the sections that are in the first two issues are really a great way to look at the early recording business through Hunting's eyes. The column of R. Tattler was absolutely scattered and absurdly hilarious in the two 1896 issues. The R. Tattler section was oftentimes the comedic section of the magazine where short phonograph related stories were and a little studio mishaps could be read about often. 
The magazine is a greater source of information about the inner workings of the early recording business, more than anything else that's in any modern books, as it contains great descriptions of the studios, the locations, scandal stories, reports on lawsuits and court battles, and everything else that can be thought of when referring to the early recording business. The general news section was then where all the phonograph-related news and studio doings went after the beginning of 1897. In 1898, a cylinder record company called Leeds Talkaphone had Hunting record a skit, Cohen at the telephone. He was paid $5 per round. A pantographic duplication yielded about 100 acceptable duplicates of the cylinder. At the end of the fourth round, while recording into four machines that yielded 16 masters, he saw a man carting 24 recordings of his Cohen at the telephone away at the end of the studio recession. Hunting accused Leeds Talkaphone of attempting to defraud him. The company, according to Hunting, made good upon being threatened with exposure. This was not the end of Leed Records' naughtiness. In April 1909, Victor triumphed in a lawsuit for patent infringement, and Leeds Records and Talkaphone went out of business. The magazine was becoming more complicated and tangled. The publication lasted until December 1899, but Hunting edited only the first couple of dozen issues, his last being October 1898. Emil Ement succeeded him as the editor. Here's side three, Casey at the Dentist. Well, well, Casey, what's the matter of you? Oh, me boy, you know I, I'm a very ill man. I have a devil's own toothache. Well, in me tooth, no, yes. Oh, last night I was walking up and down and down and up and down all night. Why didn't you walk sideways, Casey? Oh, don't be joking. I'm going in here and have it pulled out of me. What does it say on the sign? Dr. Skinner, see it pulled without pain? <laughs> without pain. By God, that cheap. Knock on the door. Come on, we'll go in. Come in. Ah. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Is this the dentist factory? Yes. I have a, a tooth I'd like to have it pulled out of me. All right, come right in. Uh-huh. Sit down. Uh-huh. Yes, doctor, but I don't want to shave. That's all right. Sit right down here. Which one is it? Uh, I think it's the one that side of the one side of it. Is that it? No, 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 no. Is that it? Oh, Google, I'm speaking. You have your fist in me mouth. Is that it? No. Oh, doctor. No, doctor. Yes, it would be. Don't play the hose on me, doctor. That's all right. Keep nice and quiet now. Nice and quiet. Take a nice long breath. Nice long breath. Your funny dream is coming over me. I'm a dead man. That's all right. No, I'm a dead man. That's all right. Oh, I got it. Think you pulled the wrong one, anyhow. 
Oh, no, that's two dollars, please. Uh, two dollars? You, you say he's pulled without pain? Oh, P-A-I-N. I, I don't care how you spell it. Why, God, I think you pulled the wrong one on him. No, dear. Come on, two dollars. No, I will not pay two dollars. Here, I, I give you 50 cents. If not, you, you put the tooth back in me, in me face, and I'll go somewhere else. By God, I think you pulled the wrong one anyhow. No, no, no. Come back here, please. No, no. Come back here. No, no, no. Near the end of the 19th century, hunting got in trouble again which caused him to leave America hurriedly and take up residence in England. Hunting and Steve Porter made or distributed films featuring naked women. (sighs) Whether Hunting had to flee the U.S. for this reason is impossible to verify, but Porter also left the U.S. within a few years. Hunting had traveled to England in 1898 and became recording director of Edison Bell Records. After the United Kingdom became involved in the Boer War in 1899, he recorded the departure of the troop ship. With the sounds of crowds at the quayside, bands playing the troops up the gangplank, bugles sounding all ashore, farewell cries of don't forget to write, and troops singing Home Sweet Home, it gradually receded into the distance and the faraway mournful hoot of the steamer whistle. Nellie Melba said that record influenced her above anything else to make records. While hunting was in England, James H. White recorded Casey material for Edison Records around 1901. Then in 1905, John Kaiser became the voice of Casey for Edison. Hunting also recorded skits for Zonophone in Britain. And in 1904, Hunting and Lewis Sterling formed the Sterling Record Company, which became the Russell Hunting Record Company Limited in London. The company produced Sterling Cylinder Records and Linguaphone Language Instruction Records, but went out of business in 1908. Hunting then joined the Pathé Company in Paris as Director of Recording, traveling the world on the company's behalf, and setting up its U.S. arm before returning to Pathé to take charge of its European recording activities. He also maintained an occasional recording career, recording the departure of the first U.S. troops for France, again with sound effects and bands and crowds, in New York in 1917. He finally did return to the U.S. in 1940. But Hunting died in Westchester County, New York in 1943 at the age of 78. Here's side four. Departure of a troop ship, 1905.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm your host, Sean, and you know what? I'm going to catch you on the flip side.